Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. chapter number six, we come to a very familiar chapter in the book of Acts. I know personally as a, since I've become the pastor here, I've dealt with this chapter uh, numerous times and drawn out truths out of uh, this particular chapter. <laughs> I think about several times I've I brought out truths concerning the deaconship and uh, what the Bible says about that out of uh, these passages of Scripture. I remember uh, not too very long ago we were in this passage of Scripture uh, during the month of August, we had, uh, when uh, we were out due to COVID and I was preaching online from my office, we came to Acts chapter number 6 and uh, we began to look at what the Bible says about Stephen in verse number 8, about the, this man that is the first named among the deacons that are mentioned here in Acts chapter number 6. But tonight I want us, and we won't stay here, but we will begin here this evening, but I want us to in particular, I want us to emphasize a couple of verses beginning here in Acts chapter number 6 as we continue the thoughts uh, concerning what the Bible says about the Word of God. And some time ago, I believe it was in the month of October, I began, late October, I began uh, to preach to you some messages on uh, some words about the Word. And it's been a couple of weeks since we were here uh, last on a Wednesday night some time ago. Uh, but I want us to begin here this evening. And I've already brought you four messages talking about what the Word of God says about itself. And in those four messages, I have presented to you 12 truths about the Word of God thus far. The first one we saw was Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4, that we are to live by every Word of God. Then we saw uh, number two out of Luke chapter number two and verse number 29, that our desire should be that our lives should be lived according to to God's Word. And we saw that in the character of Stephen. Then number three, we saw Matthew 13, 23, that the Word <coughs> is to be received as upon good ground. At number four, we saw in Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 75, that the Word of God is to be remembered. And the Bible talks about how we are to remember, how we are to call to mind uh, the Word of God. <coughs> and so the Bible tells us, amen, and in John 15, 20, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, that when we remember the word of the Lord, it lets us know what we are to expect in the future and how we don't have to be blindsided by the events of life. So we dealt with that. Then number five, we saw Luke 4, 32. And Luke 4, 36, it tells us in a picture, in a picture standpoint, in a visual image during the ministry of the Lord Jesus about how powerful God's Word is. So we saw God's Word is powerful. Then number 6 in Luke 5, 5 and Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, we saw that God's Word, when it is spoken and when it is acted upon, it prepares us for future blessings. Number 7, we saw when God's Word is spoken, it can be believed for future miracles. Number 8, we saw from Romans 10, 17, that God's Word will produce faith. As we considered how 
word of the word of God produces faith. We looked at John 4, 50, where it tells us that... <coughs> God's Word, when it is spoken and when it is received, can produce faith in us to walk on for God, believing Him for things that we see uh, quite as of yet. We looked at John 8 31 that tells us that hearing God's word will produce belief or faith in us which will produce our continuing in his word as a true disciple of Christ. Number nine we looked at John 8 43 that tells us that hearing God's word physically can cause us to comprehend what we hear from God's word or what we read from God's word spiritually which will in turn give us confidence in our relationship with the Lord. So when we come in contact with God's Word, it tells us about our relationship with God. We can hear it spiritually. We can comprehend it spiritually. And the fact that we can understand God's Word, according to John 8, 43, lets us know that we can have confidence in our salvation, in our relationship with Him, because the words of God are spiritually discerned. Amen. And so in order to comprehend God's Word and to have God speaking to you through God's Word, you must have a relationship with God. Amen. Number 10, in John 12, 48, we saw that when we hear God's Word, when we read God's Word, when we come in contact with God's Word, we are hearing the very thing that we will be judged by one day because John 12, 48 tells us that we will be judged by the Word of God. John 15, verse 2 and 3, and Ephesians 5, 26 tells us that when we hear God's Word, it purges us, and it purifies us, and it makes us more fruitful in our lives for Christ. So we are sanctified by the words of God. In John 14, 23 and 24, we saw that when we hear God's Word and we do what it says, that, that we have it then uh, hearing God's Word and doing what it says, we have a way of showing God that we love Him. We have a way of doing more than just telling God that we love Him, but we can show God that we love Him. Amen. Now we're here in Acts chapter number 6. Uh, is my mic going in and out? Because I'm still not hearing myself. I'm still straining. Y'all help me out a little bit. Amen. <clears throat> I know my voice is weak, but that's what mics are for. Amen. Acts chapter number 6 here. I want to begin here concerning God's Word, submitting to you the 13th truth, and that is that the Word of God is one of the two most important ministries of the local church. The Word of God is one of the two most important ministries in every New Testament local church body. Amen. Notice when we come here to Acts chapter number 6. Acts chapter number 6. In verse number 1 we see, amen, we see that it begins to tell us a little bit about the first deacons, if you will. That's the context that we are in this evening. So in Acts chapter number 6 we find that the church is growing. The, the, the number of uh, saved individuals is growing by 
great number, so much so that now the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ are not able by themselves to meet the growing needs of uh, those that make up this church in Jerusalem, those that are the body of Christ, if I can put it that way. And the church has grown beyond their means uh, to visit and their means to provide physically for the needs, in particular here in Acts chapter number 6, the needs of the widows that were among them. Of course, you know just as well as I do that the early church took it upon themselves, amen, to minister in particular for all of the needs of those who were widows indeed. Even through the writings of the Apostle Paul, the church in its into the day would entirely take care of those who were widows and had no one else to take care of them but the church. And so we don't find, we find here that this is talking about widows. The Bible does have several classification of widows, widows that have others within their family, children to take care of them, and those who are widows indeed who are absolutely destitute without the church. Here the Bible does not clarify which group this is, so I take it to me that it's just talking about widows. Amen. Just what, just whoever in that group. If you're a widow indeed, we're, we're talking about you. If, you're, if you've still got somebody, we're talking about you as well. These apostles were uh, acting in the role of uh, a pastor, if you will, in terms of the visiting the people and meeting the needs of the people. And so uh, here we find that uh, they are, uh, they are uh, meet, trying to meet these needs, but because of the great number some have uh, been neglected. And I would say this, I don't believe the text is indicating with, by the word neglect that this was a purposeful neglect, but I believe this neglect was due to oversight. I don't believe that this is a purposeful neglect. I believe it is just honestly, uh, just like me and you have from time to time, have so much to do that some things just get forgotten and some things uh, just fall through the cracks. And I don't believe that the apostles were trying uh, to target these widows or uh, said, well, we're going to take care of the younger ones or we're going to take care of the ones that are uh, better givers or whatever the case may be. Because in this time, the early church, according to Acts chapter number five, has already given everything they have. They, they all have given to the church all of what they have and all men have all things common. These ladies couldn't have given more than they did. Nobody else gave more than anybody else. It was all 100% uh, to the church, amen, except for Ananias and Sapphira. And we know what God uh, did for them for holding back from uh, the Lord and lying about it, amen. But here we find that these uh, widows just uh, happened to be neglected. And it was just, I personally believe, just a oversight that was not targeting them in any way. They just so happened uh, to be the group that got left out of the preacher's ministry. So here we find in verse number two that they had to try to find a way uh, to fix the problem. You've got people in the church that are missing out of the ministries. Amen. You've got people that are not being visited when they need to be and they've got needs and they're not being addressed. Amen. Uh, one of the first things you'll do in ministry is try to find a way to fix the problem and meet the needs and help the people uh, that need to be helped. Amen. At least I believe that a true God called individual a man is not in it for themselves they're not in it to try to uh, try to uh, bring, uh, 
they're trying to bless themselves, but they want to help everybody. They're not trying to exclude folks. Amen. You have a need. Amen. Here at this church, we want to help you with your needs. Amen. We want to minister to your spiritual needs. Amen. There's been times that physical needs have come up in our church body, and our church has been faithful to try to help. Amen. Well, there are legitimate physical needs within our congregation. So we understand the condition that they're in here. Amen. And so the apostles are trying to find a way to meet the need. But notice what the Bible begins to say in verse number 2. In verse number 2, the Bible tells us why these widows were neglected and the solution that came about because of the widows being neglected. Notice what he says here in verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. So the apostles are calling all of the followers of Christ that are gathered there, bringing them together to have, if I can put it this way, a church business meeting. Amen. And they're about to have a vote, and they're about to vote on their deacons. Amen. Notice what verse 2 says. Up and by the way, up until this point, the office of a deacon has never been entered into yet. Yes, I believe that there were some foreshadows in the Old Testament of the ministry of a deacon. I believe we see that, amen, with Moses and Jethro's advice to Moses in the book of Exodus. It is a picture of the ministry of a deacon. But here the office of a deacon was not entered into until this moment, and the office of a deacon was created by these men under the leadership of God to fix a problem and to meet a service need within the church. Verse 2, he says, notice, the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, it is not reason. It is not reasonable. It is not advantageous for you, he says, that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Notice the apostles are not saying that they are unwilling to serve tables. They are not saying, well, we are the apostles and we are the top-notch guys and we are the upper crust of Christian society and we will not serve tables. By the way, I think that's a, that's a way that a lot of even pastors in our day have, have preached this text concerning deacons. Amen. Uh, that I should have deacons and they should be doing all of the service, all of the visiting and all of those things uh, because I'm not going to waste my time and go to the hospital. Amen. That's not what these apostles are saying. He's saying to them it is not reason. It is not reasonable. It is not good for you that we leave the Word of God to serve the tables. To go on the visitation runs. To meet the needs of the physical needs. Here in particular this daily ministration most Bible scholars believe was a daily provision of food for these widows that would have been brought to them to take care of their needs since they had no other way to take care
care of the need themselves. They are widows. Chances are they're up in age. Chances are they're not able to travel and get their own food. They're not able, amen, to, uh, amen, to try to <coughs> cultivate or grow their own food. Somebody has to be relied on to help them, amen, that is more able to do the physical labor that would be involved in bringing them their daily provisions. And so these apostles for some extended period of time from the time the church has been growing took the meeting of all of those needs on themselves and it pulled them away. They were faced with the decision, should we meet these needs? And we've realized, we've come in contact with the idea that what we are doing is not working efficiently enough. Somebody got left out. All of the burden has been on us. We've been trying to do it ourselves, and somebody has got left out, and that cannot happen again. That's what the, that's what the decision is. We don't want to leave anybody out. But now the contemplation they have to have is what part of our ministry deserves more of our attention? What part of our ministry deserves more of our time? And notice these men are not wondering which one is the preferable choice. They do not say, would you rather us to the congregation? Would you rather us spend our time visiting? Or would you rather us spend our time in the Word of God? He does not tell them, would you rather us be doing the store runs for the widows? Or would you rather us be on our knees and on our face before God in prayer? He does not offer that, so that as a solution. He does not, he knows, if I can put it that way, these, these apostles know what the preferred method of their ministry is, what the preferred place of their ministry is. Nobody gets ministered to in the daily ministration. It is not good for them that the men of God leave the Word of God and begin to do these other areas of service. When it comes to making the store run, any godly man in the church that could be a blessing to these widows can make the store run and drop off the food and try to be an encouragement. Amen. But these men that have been called by God to be God's men and to be an apostles. He told them, in other words, it's just the way I see it. He's telling them it'd be better for you to starve physically than it would be for you to starve spiritually. He said it's not reasonable. And notice the word that he used, it's not reason that we should leave the Word of God. And it's gotten to the place where he has realized, they have realized that they cannot do both. That in order to meet the needs, they would have to leave the Word of God. Now, I'll be honest with you. I never truly saw this as uh, truly understood this need from a practical experiential standpoint until I started pastoring, until I spent time around a lot of other pastors. There are churches by the, probably by the hundreds in this country that would rather their pastor be a visiting man rather than what I call a vocal man. They would rather their pastor be at the hospital than be in the study. 
They would rather him sit all day by their bedside than be alone with God, giving them something to feed on on Sundays and Wednesdays. I have said, as sure as I know what my name is, I've seen it time and time again. And now, let me say this. I'm preaching on the Word of God, but I'm preaching this text so we understand the point I'm trying to make about what the text says about the Word of God. There are a couple of things that are very obvious. I do not believe here that the Bible is saying that the pastors should try to throw off all of the duties on uh, the deacons. I do believe every church should have some deacons. I believe that. Now, I've come in contact with guys, uh, people I know personally, that they have a rule in their church that you have to have seven deacons. If you have one, you've got to have seven. And I've had people teach that as a scriptural truth, that a church, I've heard them tell me that a church is not a New Testament church if it does not have deacons, and if the number of those deacons is not seven. They don't have a right to call themselves a church if they don't have deacons, and they don't have seven of them. Here's my only problem with that. Prior to Acts chapter number 6, God called the early church a church. The Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. Uh, four chapters, the Bible says that, before Acts chapter number 6. And here's a problem I also have. There are probably, at this point in time, between Acts chapter and Acts chapter number 6, anywhere between 3,000 and a little over 8,000 people that make up this church in Jerusalem by this time if you study just the ones that got saved. Not the ones, not the twelve and the others that were there, just the ones that was added to the original church such as should be saved. At least three, could be over eight, eight at least three thousand up to eight thousand that were added to the church. Which means there was people that made up the church before the three to eight thousand were added to it. This is a large congregation. And God said, seven men. God put it on his apostle's heart, seven men to take care of at least 8,000 people. Brother Gary, I'm not a math whiz or a brainiac in any way. But percentagely speaking, I don't think our church needs seven deacons if they needed seven for 8,000. That's the fact. I don't know about you, but I see that in the text. Like I said, I'm not a smart man by any means, but the percentages don't seem to fit there, if you ask me. It very, very well could be a church our size. We might not even need the deacons that we have. But I am thankful. I will say this as your pastor. I am thankful for them. I don't always call them. I have called at least one of them to do a visit for me because I was studying and I could not go. I told it was Brother Lewis Stankwich. I told him there was somebody that just recently had a, a minor medical issue and was on their way to the hospital. And normally, what I would have done is that moment is stopped whatever I was doing, thrown on a suit and tie, and went straight to the hospital. That's what I normally would have done. That's what I've done for many of you. However, in that moment, it happened late on a Saturday night. And I, I know nobody but Brother Caldwell here has pastored before. But there are some times that God doesn't give you your sermon on Monday for Sunday. 
there's sometimes God will give it to you late on Saturday. And God had just started feeding me what God wanted me to give to you guys that next Sunday morning. And he was pouring it out on me, Brother Brandon. I'm glad he was because it was getting close to crunch time. But he was pouring it out on me. And I, t I, to I told Brother Lewis when he called me and told me about it, I said, Brother, I said, right now God is feeding me out of this passage. And I don't know how, and, and the, the, the idea was we don't know how long he's going to, he may get out tonight, he may not, we don't know how long he's going to be in. And I told, I told Brother Lewis this, I said, could you go pray with him, meet with him, talk to him, be there for him, whatever he needs. If something more serious happens, or if you need me, or if he requests me, call me back and let me know. And that's the way I handled that. And the way I handled that was because of this passage. At that time, they did not need me there. They just needed somebody. And I was at a place to where I would have had to leave the Word of God to go do some area of service that one of my deacons could handle. And did a good job. And guess what, Brother Tommy? They didn't ask for me. They didn't care whether it was me or whether it was Brother Lewis. They were just glad to have somebody there. Yes, amen. Yes. amen. But I would have went if they would have called, but I didn't feel very special that night. I wasn't needed. Amen. And so, this passage is talking about the, the, the premier position of God's Word in the ministry of a church. God ordained the office of a deacon not to be church bosses, not to be church rulers, but to be those who serve the local church at the, at the, at the pleasure and as an extension of the ministry of the pastor to serve the people of the church and to save some of the load off of the pastor in meeting the need of the congregation. That's a, By the way, if you don't know that by now, that's all our deacons are for. And when I come up here, I may not get much further than this tonight, but that's okay. If... <clears throat> If, if, if I come up here and we're in a business meeting and I said me and the deacons discussed this particular uh, point of business or whatever, that does not mean that I have elevated the deaconship over their opinions over the people. What I have done is I have used them in their biblical capacity to serve me as their pastor and the service of this church and what that means is, as my pastor used to always say, I've realized that I did not get all of God's cheese on my cracker. I don't have all knowledge. And so in our meet, in my meetings with them, I will pull both of, the, both of them in and I will say, what do you guys, I've been thinking about this and praying about this. This is a direction I'm thinking about. How do you guys feel about this? And all their opinion does is help me make a more, a more straight and narrow and thought out decision to bring before the congregation to vote on. Those are the ways that I use the deacons here because that is the way they're meant to be used, to be a their ministry is twofold, to serve you and to serve me. That's the whole reason why their position exists. 
That's the whole reason why God gave them uh, this position. The Bible does tell us about uh, the reason for them. It was for those two reasons, to serve the congregation, to meet the servitude needs, amen, and uh, to meet uh, the needs of the pastor, amen, the represented by these apostles here, that they don't have to choose between the church being ministered to in a physical sense and them, them being ministered to from the Word of God. Because the Bible puts a premium on the ministry of the Word rather than daily ministration in the visiting and in the physical care needs of a congregation. Again, let me in, 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 let, let me just let it be known clear again. That does not mean that you cannot tell me what's going on. I get downright irritated with folks that have a major need in their life and they never thought to let the preacher know. And just preacher, I just didn't want to bother you. Well, I could have at least prayed for you. Amen. We've got some secretive people around here. Amen. And that's okay. Amen. I'm not asking you to run me ragged. Amen. I don't want to have to leave the Word of God to serve tables. And I don't, amen, I don't want to make the deacons serve tables so much they don't, amen, ever get a break. Amen. But at the same time, you know what I'm saying. You don't understand what I'm saying. I want to be here for you. I love this congregation. I want to minister to your needs. Our deacons, no doubt, want to minister to your needs. And we've got good godly men that love you and want the best for our church and they're in the right frame of mind with their pastor and we're trying our best to work together for God's glory to bring our church where God would have for us to be. But we see the reason for the deacons here. Then number two we see the requirement for the deacons. The Bible said verse three that they were, he said wherefore brethren look out among you seven men of honest report. So they have to have a good report among those uh, that know them. They have to have a good testimony. They are to be full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. And so we do, by the way, let me say this, because I won't be preaching on this again until we do so here in the next few weeks. When we, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to do something that I have not done. And one of the reasons why I have not done it is because I had never seen it in this passage until recently. But let's, let me pause the message on the Word of God for a minute and bring you a side message just real quick out of verse number three. It's Wednesday night. It's supposed to be, most churches call this Bible study night anyway, so that's what we're doing. Amen. Look at verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. Do you see that there? Who's to do the looking? Who's to do the selecting? The congregation is. Look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Now, so here we find that they are, again, this is a side message, okay? So pause on the other message while the time is still clicking to preach a second message, okay? Here we find that when it comes to voting on their deacons, first of all, the congregation was, was told how this was brand new, so they were told how many to select. They couldn't just select all the men, okay? Uh, let's let everybody be. I've, I've had, I, 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 I remember a pastor, I'm not going to, well, I guess I could. I may get in trouble for it, but I guess I could. When I pastored in Maryland, the, that church, the, the founding pastor of that church before I came, their church had no deacons. 
And the reason why they had no deacons is because the pastor had stood up in the pulpit and said that he was going to make all of his men deacons. Now, outside of the biblical ignorance of that, if you study 1 Timothy chapter number 3, which brings in more qualifications in the New Testament church for these deacons, and it's mentioned here in this initial vote for the original deacons, that there was men in that church that didn't even come close to qualifying to be a deacon. But he had said, all of our men are going to be deacons. So they're not, and we don't, in the scriptures here, we don't find the, these men doing what that pastor did, okay? I love all you men. I think you love the church and you want good things for the church. But we're not making all of our men deacons. Because if you make all of the men deacons, then none of them are. Who are they serving? Their wives and their children? Amen. If Brother Gary's a deacon, and Brother Brandon's a deacon, and Brother and Brother uh, Jeremy's a deacon, and Brother Norman's a deacon, and Brother Tommy and Preacher Cole and then Brother Cody and Brother Kyle, and all of these men are deacons, then who are they? Who are they the servants to? Everybody's taking care of their own. That's what that would, would be. What eventually happened? It wouldn't be Brother Tommy's taking care of Brother Kyle's family. It would be Kyle's taking care of his family. And Tommy's taking care of his family. That's what it would eventually work its way to. Here, but he says, so he gives them a specific number. It was a number that they needed, and the Bible gives qualifications. And what are qualifications for? Again, it is to zone and on the ones who can be, to the exclusion of others who can be. Is that not right? And so we do see it's not everybody. And the, you have to first tell the congregation what the qualifications are. So here over the in the next little while before we have the last Sunday of the year and we begin to vote on officers, you will probably from this pulpit hear me tell you what the qualifications not only of our deacons are, but what our church officers are. Notice this as well. So they are to be of honest report. They are to have a good testimony. They are to be full of the Holy Ghost, meaning they are to be directed by the Holy Ghost. Ghost, that is to be evident to the people. That it should be evident to the congregation that this man is following the leadership of the Lord. Okay? It, it, by the way, here the text is saying that their fullness of the Holy Ghost and their fullness of wisdom was something that they could look at them and tell. You can't always tell where, whether a man's wise or not, but you can tell by history of their testimony and how they've lived their life and how they've served the church and how they've served their pastor and how their family is and all of that what is, what is important to them if what is important to them is that they're following every will of every point of God's will for their life it is very very well could be that that person is qualified to be a deacon so we see here that it was something you can look at them and tell and then notice this little interesting phrase whom we may appoint over this business. If you ask me, I believe the we here is these apostles that are speaking, but yet it could also include the congregation as well. So here's what I believe.
And we, we'll, go, we'll go on and read. The Bible says, he says, verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So I believe here, again, this is a sermon within a sermon, but I believe that the biblical order of selecting deacons is for the church to, first of all, hear the qualifications of those that are, what, what qualifies what a deacon is. Okay? You hear the qualifications. Then number two, the church itself has an obligation, has, a, has an opportunity to select the men that they believe are full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, and uh, of honest report, as well as have the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter number three, and have all of those qualifications, and they choose to represent them. Then then, thirdly, here in where it says, whom we may appoint over this business, it means that the apostles were uh, in, uh, that, that means that the apostles were leading this and involved in this, and they had the final say in whether or not those men fit the qualifications that God would have for the qualifications to be. So here's what we're going to do this year. Again, sermon within a sermon. First of all, you're going to hear me give you the qualifications not only of the deacons, but also of all of our church officers as are in our bylaws and as are in the scriptures. That's number one. Number two, there will be a time where you will get to choose from among yourselves who it is that's going to serve you in that position. You can choose to elect, to reelect the two that are already serving or by majority vote choose others that fit the qualification. And then after all of that is concerned, is concerned then I and the congregation after I approve of the majority names will bring it before you again and let you choose those who the church has selected. Is that not what the Scripture is teaching here in this passage. Okay, now, let's go back to the other sermon. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. I'll be done here in a few minutes. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Remember, the very first thing he says, it's not verse number 2, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. But when he says how, he is going to utilize these deacons that they have chosen to meet Need, he says, we are going to put the deacons over the business of the uh, physical servitude and the daily ministration of the church. But then in verse number four, he says, but we, speaking about the apostles, will give ourselves continually to prayer. Now, let me ask you this. In verse two, does it mention anything about prayer? No. There's not one word about, about prayer in verse number two. All they says is not reason we should leave the word of God and serve tables. But I will say this, that if in the ministry of the word, if there is not prayer and the studying to minister the word of God, the ministry of the word of God will have no effect. My pastor used to say this, quoting his pastor, Dr. Maccabee. He said, Dr. Maccabee used to always say, no prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Great prayer, great power. Much prayer, much power.
In other words, the Scriptures teach that our power comes from our prayer life. If we're going to have power in ministering the Word, it must be coupled with prayer. These apostles knew that, and they said, we are going to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So the according to this verse, what are the two most important ministries in a local New Testament church? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. If we're going to have the ministry that God wants us to have, not only is that for the pastor, I, I, I do, I personally believe that if a pastor is doing it, it is the Bible says that we are to be an example, an example to the flock. I believe if I'm to give myself continually to prayer, so are you. I believe I'm going to give myself continually to the Word of God. So are you. I believe the Bible sets that out in motion that the church is to follow God's man as God's man follows Christ. Did not Paul give us that example when he was writing to his constituents in the churches that he wrote to? He told them, follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. The man of God is to be with God in prayer and in the Word following after God. And then the people of God that are part of a Luton a local New Testament church are to be continually in prayer and in the Word of God so that they can rightfully follow the leadership of their pastor as their pastor follows the Lord. Amen. And so we see this in these verses of Scripture. He says, we will give ourselves continually. This phrase in the Greek language in which our New Testament is derived from is one Greek word that is a very powerful word where it says, we will give ourselves continually. It is one powerful Greek word that means to be in a constant readiness for. It means to be earnest toward. It means to be constantly diligent. It means to adhere closely. It means to give oneself continually over and over again. It means to wait on. It means to continue all the time in a place. It means to persist in adherence. It means to be adhered or literally glued to a thing. It means to be, be intently and constantly engaged in. It means to attend constantly to remain. It means to constantly be in that place and to continually be near or at hand. Here's what he's saying. And when he says that we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, he tells them if the deacon serving you, you can you can know without, beyond the shadow of a doubt if we are not there serving your needs in person that you, if you were to look for us you would find us in prayer or you'd find us with our nose in God's word. Amen. Giving ourselves to God's word or you'd find us out somewhere ministering God's word preaching God's word telling somebody the gospel and preaching Christ unto them. You'll find us doing the work of God. It's not that we're trying to be lazy. It's not that we're trying to get out of a task. There's just something more important that you need from us that God's called us to and that is for us to give our lives for the ministry of the word and to prayer. I'm, I don't say this braggadociously, but I have learned <coughs> that you will never be an effective pastor by giving yourself 30 minutes to study for Sunday morning. You'll never be. 
I know personally of a pastor who, who made that statement to a friend of mine that I'm ne I, never, I never take more than 30 minutes to get together a message. And my friend that heard that said, well, you hear him preach and you can tell. It doesn't take any time. I asked Dr. Alderman on average as a pastor how long it took him. And of course, I, I, I felt at home listening to Dr. Alderman preach. I felt almost like I was listening to myself. You know, just simply said, well, I'm giving you the most I can right now. And I, I had to come back to give you the rest. I felt like I was listening to me. I got a taste of my own medicine, which you guys get all the time. But I asked Dr. Alderman at lunch, how long does it take you normally to prepare a sermon? And he said, when I pastored, and I was full-time pastoring, <clears throat> he said it wouldn't be uncommon for it to take 20 hours or more to prepare a message. I remember several years ago for a Mother's Day message, it took me over 17 hours for the Mother's Day message. I don't say that braggadociously. I'm stating a fact. Until I became the pastor, I didn't a pastor, I did not realize how long it would take to get along with God, to give you more than just a three-point outline. That's why I want to take our time. When we go through what God's given me, I want to take our time and really get the juice out of God's Word and try to get the best that we can out of it and not try to just blow through a text just to get a one, two, three on Sunday and another one, two, three on Sunday night and another one, two, three on Wednesday night. There's more in that Bible, amen, that we need to just take just a few minutes to give something. And I, I'm telling you, my heart aches, Brother Tommy, my heart aches. <clears throat> when I hear young preachers, they'll write a couple of thoughts on an index card, and they'll say, <clears throat> this is what, this is what it makes my heart ache. I know I can get about 30 minutes out of that. I can get about 30 minutes out of, out of the grocery list. <clears throat> I can. A real preacher of the gospel can. You don't, you, I mean, Brother Lewis about took off on, was it Sunday night, about the hymns. <clears throat> he didn't even have his Bible up there with him, just, just a hymn book. And he gave us probably at least 10 minutes out of the hymn book. Amen. A preacher's going to preach no matter if they've got a Bible in their hand, a shopping list in their hand, or Sears Roebuck catalog in their hand. They're going to preach regardless. Amen. Amen. You're doing good if you've got a gospel track or a Bible in their hand. Amen. <laughs> but I'm not interested in what I can give you 30 minutes on. Because I know I can do that. And to Brother Jeremy, to give you 30 minutes, I could fake my way through it. And y'all say, preach, oh, that's been a wonderful sermon. And I know that I didn't do what God's called me to do. I live a life... And I do my best to anyway. And again, I don't say this to try to be braggadocious or any way. But I live a life where I spend most of my time in my study. I live a life. Now, I did just take my family out for a couple of days away. And they need that from time to time. Because I did my family, it is not uncommon for my boys at the end of the day to see me for the first time. For my wife to see me for the first time in the evening because I want to feed you and I want to get God I want to get something for me I need God's word too but I want to get something that'll feed you so the word of God has to be 
It has to be. When it comes from the pastors, it has to be the most important part of our services. It has to be the most important. It has to be the most important part of any New Testament church, and that's what will separate Beacon Baptist Church from the rest of the churches in our day. Because a church that truly majors on God's word are becoming fewer and farther between in the day and the hour which we live in. You'll find the churches a dime a dozen for the ones that will build a congregation on music. That'll build a congregation on programs. That'll build a what they call a ministry on having anything to having having Xbox and TV screens for your kids to where you'll dump them off at a building somewhere and they won't hear about the grace of God and they won't hear Bible preaching until they're 18 years old. It's in this county. I know it for a fact. Most of the contemporary churches today, they do not even let young people in the, what they call the adult service until they're 18. They have a chill. They have a they have a nursery. You graduate from the nursery, then you go to the kids' campus. You graduate from the kids' campus, and then you go to the Teen Extreme or the Teen Revolution or some kind of name that always sounds rebellious to me. And then once you graduate high school or you turn 18, and if you choose to stay in town instead of hitting, the, kicking the tires and lighting the fires and going straight for the hog pen like the rest of the prodigals out there, if you choose to stay and even darken the doors of a church at all, now you get now you're 18, you get to come to adult church, and that child from birth has been in church from birth to the day they became an adult themselves, and they have no idea how to use a hymn book, they have no idea what the Bible says. They have no idea who their pastor is. That's what will set this church apart from all, all the other so-called churches in our area. And thank God we've got some great churches and great Bible preaching preachers in this area. No, no, no doubt about that. But I'm telling you here at our church, amen, I'm, like I, I say it often, I know I'm not the most entertaining preacher. I know I'm not the best looking preacher. I know that y'all have to put up with my raspy voice all the time and all of that. But I'm telling you, I want our, our church to be a church that always majors on preaching and teaching the Word of God. And if you, come, if you come here for anything, it'll be to pray and to meet with God and to hear something from God's Word. We may not have a whole lot of all the other stuff, but thank God we've got God. And we've got an old-time altar to pray in. And we've got a King James Bible to preach. Amen. Hey, I'm telling you, I've had people ask me all the time, what do y'all have for the kids? Well, I've got preaching for the kids. If you, if you can hang around long enough, to handle it because I know they can. I've never met a young person who can't handle preaching unless they've, I don't know why I'm meddling now. Amen. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. When the rolling call up yonder.